Hello, my name's Gregory Wilker. Thank you for listening to my podcast, Live with Greg. Today is November 17th, 2019, and last night I learned that my podcast had way exceeded the resources I have to keep it alive as a video podcast. So I am actively working to move it to an audio podcast. The video is still available on my website, gregorywoker.com, and I hope you enjoy this episode of Live with Greg. Thanks for your support. So um, we're here with Trishana Healy, who I would say you are a mom to me, a spiritual guide, and a very, very strong life support in my life. Wow. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> we're here with episode 27 of Live With Greg. All right. Happy to be part of it, Greg. Thank you. Thank you. Um, So this seems like a place to start, because you were just talking a bit about um, patterns and stories, and I have a story to start with. I would love to hear it. Okay. Um, There is a gentleman who's been by Whole Foods for a few months now, often with his wife and two children, and asking for money, you know, with a sign. And I saw him today, and I thought, like, why don't you get a job? And maybe I can help you, like, go apply for a job. Just get a job and get this, get past this. And that was my story I had about him. So I'm driving away because that thought, you know, as many thoughts do, was just a quick blip. But I thought, oh, there, you know, if I drive away, then I'm one of those people who had a quick thought that could have helped someone and just kept driving. And I don't want to be that person, and I have the time to stop. So I stopped. But then I heard his story, and he can't get a job because he is an illegal immigrant. He doesn't have the paperwork, and he's from Italy. And he's driving to Mill Valley from Sacramento. Oh, my God. Because he feels that the money is, you know, more likely to happen there. And he's gone to the government. And so I heard his story, and I realized... I had my story about his situation, which wasn't true at all, mm-hmm. and my actions stem from that story. Yes. So, what's the follow-through here? <laughs> Give up our stories. <laughs> Find the truth. Um, were you able to... Put him in any di- guide him in any direction, or how did I'm so fascinated? I'm into it. Um, where I mean, he lives in Sacramento. Where is he living? Have you did you have time to do any more in depth? So there wasn't a lot of depth, and as we were talking, I could see his attention is also going to the cars driving by. Because oh. in essence, he's looking he's, for he's, that revenue. Yes, he's waiting. He's right. Waiting. So I didn't. So I didn't feel uh, like I could take a lot of time. But he told me he left Italy 
because he thought it was going to be better for his family here in the United States, the yes, American the dream. the American dream. And the American dream, you can't get a job, you can't get a really good job without the green card. He can't get any job, unless it's like an under-the-table labor thing. Mm -hmm. He told me that he's experienced a lot of people who say they'll help him and they give him their number and say, call me, I'll give you a job. And he calls them and either they say wrong number or the number oh. doesn't exist. or And maybe they realize that because they can't hire him legitimately. Maybe. You know? Um, gosh, and I know there's a lot of people in that situation. And the under-the-table thing is not a living. It's a... It's usually not very frequent. And he has a family, oh my gosh. Yes, and it's interesting because you've gotten in touch with something of your idea of who he was. Right. And we all we all do this. We go through different things, you know, looking at at a person and trying to imagine what their their lives are. Why are they panhandling? Right. Why you know but then when you get down to it and then it's on all levels, not just on homelessness, but it was like the story I, I shared with you is that it was so clear because the lying was so constant, um, constant in the sense that when an excuse was needed, the lie came out rather than whatever reality could have taken place. And the excuse was to uphold the... The perfection. Perfection. The whole idea of trying to be perfect. So, um, immediately, I saw her in an entirely different light. And I saw that pattern, that unfortunate pattern which she was too young to understand. And then as she got older, for one thing, she still had to lie to her mother about certain things to keep the mother happy, to keep the mother happy. And so she did that with employers. She did that with lovers. She did that with husbands. Do it with everyone. It was everyone. And in between times, she was fine. You know, she was an excellent worker, excellent at her job. But she, you know, if there was any flaw, then it was sudden, you know, an excuse, a, a reason why it didn't have any connection. Because she was failing and the perfection model. And what I find for myself is it's so easy for me to want a place that stops. Like, oh, the mother's the bad person. Right. But the mother but has a story. Exactly. Exactly. And indeed, and so this particular so. mother does. And it's this whole thing about... Um, oh, go, go no, ahead. I was just, so did you hear a bit of the mother's story then? I did. 
So of course. Kind of now, and that part was, you know, just, um, you know, just heartrending because um, Jewish background, um, leaving Europe, uh, trying to, well, not leaving Europe, well, leaving Europe as a poor person but not living in Europe as a poor person. And then trying to make a life here. When you're young and you're, you're learning the language, which so much of our immigrants had to, they came, they came from different places. People who spoke English, even with a heavy brogue or a burr, like the Scottish people and the Irish people, they, you could at least understand them to, to, to a certain extent, but I mean, all the ones that had come from Russia and Poland and England and Hungary and Italy, all those those places, they had such a hard time. But when they when you, they came from comfort, but because they were Jews, there they were. They were thrown out into the world, and then they get here. They can't speak. They've got the desire and. And the good part of this story is she and her husband became successful. I mean, she married when she was this in this country. He was also an immigrant. And they made a very good life. But they had scars from the life that they had. And it's like the karma and reincarnation model. It's like, um, you know, that supposedly is when we come into the earth plane we have all these wonderful plans about how we're going to live yeah. and we're going to do this stuff right and and only as we're living our lives and we realize I couldn't possibly because look at my parents but what happened with my parents and then you look at their life and you're like what happened to theirs so no one was able to stay to the plan and so therefore the wheel <laughs> keeps turning and we all eventually move forward I believe snail pace to becoming aware and then getting aware gets back to the sooner you become aware the sooner you can start adjusting your pattern Prior to that time, the pattern was building, building, and building. So and it gets to this place when you have this awareness, and then it's like, oh boy, where do I start chipping away? Where do I, you know, or do I want to, or do I need to, or do I need to stick to this? Right. So it's life. And then we have friends, we have family, we get married, and all these patterns are intermingling and we wonder why we have stress and strain right. I mean do you wonder no I don't wonder anymore. <laughs> I'm an old lady now and I figured out a lot of things you know and and I'll tell you what um, somebody had asked me some time ago didn't you ever want to remarry I said no no I but I, I laid a plan out to be fair and I thought well, I was married for a long time. I was married for 28 years. I'm going to be single for 28 years, and then I'll see which one I like. I'm still single. Yeah. It's 35 years. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, 
you, you know, we figure we do figure things out as as we get past a certain point. But there's always complexities. So, do you feel that right now, today, you are still working with complexities in your? I still see where um, I need work. That I have to work. That. Um, for instance, you know, you and I have talked a lot about the ego and things like that. And as I've always said, um, on your spiritual path, you know, you, you know, you make time for the med- meditation and things like this. And the ego, I mean, we live in an egocentric society. So what do we expect? The media all around us. It's like, you need this, you need this. And no, no, that's not what we really need. So we get pulled into things to where um, our first reaction may be from the ego. And in the beginning of the journey, the spiritual journey, you're not so much aware of it. But in that, ego reaction becomes judgment of someone else, of... um, think just that instant of oh I yeah if I did that I pro- that probably would make me you know a lot happier I mean all these different things that will come in and so what happens is over time you're eliminating some things but if I were to sit here and tell you that my ego never acts up <laughs> I'd be lying to you oh, that's heartbreaking <laughs> It's life, though. I mean, we're still here trying to get it right, right? Right. You know, um, it's like when they talk about dysfunctional families. I've never met a functional family. So there's work to do on all levels. So we have a certain amount of dysfunction in ourselves. Pattern again. Mm -hmm. Changing the pattern. But I don't mind, I'm conscious of it, of the work, and it's easier. That's the only thing I can say, it's easier. I recognize when I have this egoic thought that I recognize, okay, okay. I I used to always have some wonderful retorts with people. Very fast, very, very funny, very ego satisfying. Yeah, but I, I had to get rid. I had to let those go. But that doesn't mean every once in a while, when something comes up, I don't think of a quip. I just don't say it. Now, um, I think there's an element where the quip can be spiritual if you're oh, in can. company with people who appreciate. The wit and the quip, and oh the, yes, it's like it's like a great sparring. Yes, but see that that is a gentler sort. I mean, I was able to to have some really cutting bobs, <laughs> and oh, I don't, I don't, I don't agree with what I think you're saying. I, I am saying that that they're only cutting to the degree that the receiver, the recipient, oh, okay, yes. is allowing it, like. Oh yes, oh I see what you mean. I see what you mean. Yes, because when when I am and this this was true from when 
back in the day when I, this was part of my, my repertoire, so to speak. People who were on the same wavelength, it was funny. Yes. It was funny. They could laugh. They could, we both could laugh back and forth. I, re- I remember uh, my, um, I had a brother-in-law, and um, he and his wife had this dog, and he, he was really, he was quite good to her, really, but he would call on her when they had this dog, did you take the dog to training today? Yes, I did. Yes, I did. Good, good, good. And so this one night, I'm at dinner with them. <laughs> And he said, "Did did you did you take the dog to uh, the training? I mean, this is normally the hour that that did you change the schedule? Did you take? No, I didn't take the dog." And he said, "Oh," and I turned and I said, "Tom, she had a choice of spending this evening with two dogs, and she chose you." Now he loved it. I mean, he just, he fell over laughing, and it eased the moment, you know. Right. But that was uh, an example of where you're on that that same thing. But but now I know that I don't have to do it. I mean, it was something that was always tempting, always tempting. And I've just worked on it over the years saying, that's very ego-satisfying. And I would recognize it, that, and I would say it to myself. It's very ego-satisfying. We'll let that go. We'll let that go. And that was throwing it each time, and it lessened and lessened and lessened. And that's what happens with everything. Every habit, when you start, you know, you, you've made up your mind, let's say, a smoker, and you decided to go cold turkey or you decided to go with a patch or whatever. But those are the external things to an ingrained habit. You still inside want it. There's something that wants it, wants it, wants it. I have such great admiration for people who work on that and they let it go bit by bit. Maybe they fail a few times, but then they go back and they work on it and they work, and then one day they no longer have it. This is like, um, I, I haven't finished this story at all. It's still there. I can still go to it and add more to it. But I likened it to being a lion trainer, that the ego is the lion. And if you ever went to a circus and saw the tame, the tamer with the whip, and and you know this magnificent beast wants to just, you know, but it also knows it doesn't want to get hit, but it never loses the urge, and that's the important thing. The ego will never lose hmm. the urge. Hmm. So as long as we're here, we work on it. So the ego will always be the ego. Yes. Yes. The spirit will it's, always be the spirit. And it's it's just the nature of it. Just like a lion isn't going to you you can get you can tame it and, and threaten it, but don't turn your back on it because it's going to do something. So for me, I think that biblical statement, the lion lays down with the lamb, mm-hmm. is speaking to that step where truly the ego is completely let go of. Yes. And so those, that must 
take place in heaven or someplace on some esoteric spot in the world because um, we can see patches of it. But I've talked with, um, I met a, a, I don't know if she was a nun, a Buddhist nun, and it was just, it was just kind of a casual thing. And, um, and I said, well, you, you know, you are living, and she was living in a community of like-minded people. And, and I said, well, now you are, you all have like the same kind of practice. They have the group meditation, and group meditation is very powerful. I've always found it to be powerful. And yet, they still have these little niggling things that happen in between people, okay? Yeah. So, but that's life. Right now, the way I feel, I feel that's unfortunate. Oh, no. No, because you're still learning. I mean, it's... Perfection isn't... You know, yeah. if, if, if perfection is the goal, I don't think you'll get there. But if you can just feel yourself growing in the direction you want to grow, it's, it's like anything that you are learning and you're getting better at, like math or, or a new language that you want to master. It's everything, it's that, it's, but it's all life. It's all, um, it's all something, it's a substance of being right here and living and, and doing your best to live it with love and joy. And if you have that element, the more you can incorporate that, that's what I found. The more I could bring that into it, it lightens everything up, you know, and that's my experience of it. But now I've talked a lot. Now you have to talk. Ah. Well, um, talking about the quip, mm -hmm. are you familiar with Sarah Silverman? Yes. Okay. Yes. So she, um, there's a, you know, the, uh, Roast. It started off with, you know, like Dean Mar I think it probably goes back even further. Than oh, it that. does. It goes back to um, the Friars. Oh, that Jewish, um, that. Um, Catskills? Um, and I'm trying to think of the guy's name. You would recognize him. Um, uh, Sam. Um, Not Mr. Television. No. Well, well, it does, though. Ball. Yes. Oh, yeah, but Burl. even back. But, but, well, yes, early, a little bit earlier, Eddie Cantor. Okay. Eddie Cantor and, and, and his sidekick, well, he wasn't a sidekick. They are actually, I think they, they were kind of friends. I can't think of his name right now. But they, I think that's when it started. That's when it all started. And I don't think that they were, I'm not sure because I never watched one. I never, I was never, you always heard about it the next day in the news, but you, and I don't know that they meant to be really cruel to each other or really mean, but I think they got biting. <laughs> right, so here's, I think, so the way it is now is it's cruel, yeah. but here's what the agreement is. Everyone's there in agreement. Yes. That this is going to be a nasty bit of business. Yes. And I saw an interview with Sarah Silverman, and she had some cutting barbs. And do you know Jonah Hill, the actor? No. He's, um, 
did you see Wolf of Wall Street? That movie. I didn't see it. Okay. Anyway, he's. Did you see um, Moneyball about the A's manager? No. With, okay. <laughs> anyway, Tony Hill. He's a he's a prominent A-list actor. He was one of the people on the panel that was going to roast. I think it was James Franco, another actor, and Sarah Silverman was on. And she went at Jonah Hill. She went out at everybody, you know, very cutting. And, and then he got up, and he went after her, and part of what he went after was her age. And in an now, what's their difference in their age? So he's, um, she's in her 40s, and he probably at the time was in his late 20s or early oh, okay. 30s. Um, and what I saw in an interview... Like, you know, a few weeks later, um, she spoke about it and she said how it really hit her. But the way she held it was kind of like what you're just saying. The, The readers died. The footnote is she held it. Like, oh, I still have work to do, because look at this. It rocked my world. And she said, I don't fault Jonah, because that's what we were all there for. That's what we were all in agreement for, is we were going to go for the jugular. That's what it's about. Yes, okay. But she was surprised by how hard she got hit. She said there was about a week of processing where she was sort of rocked. But here's, it's kind of like the quote from Nelson Mandela that all those years of being locked up, he saw as an opportunity. Mm-hmm. And that's the way she held it. Like, oh, look, here's something for me still to work on that's pretty deep, deep roots. And that, if you're in community where people can hold it that way, I think the cut... Um, oh, it could, bring, it could bring awareness. It could right. shine a, a, a spotlight on something that you've not thought about, uh, maybe never, never recognized in yourself. Right. You know, never. Like we mentioned briefly when I first got here, like what I'm going through, and there is an element that I recognize that this was a deep fear from when I was nine years old of divorce and um, and you know of course it's something I would hope never having to face but I also see that in the path of wholeness we don't want any dark rooms with a locked door that no one enters right right so eventually the light's got to shine in there. It, it, and it, it really does. And, and I don't know if, I, for my, I can only speak for myself in the aging process, that I just got freer. Uh, I remember um, for my 50th birthday, I just invited everyone. And we had a potluck, and it was in Hayward. And it was the most wonderful thing. And, I, and because... And, and my friends are saying, are you really doing this? You're going to let everyone know you're 50? I never had a thing about about age. It's a number, it's all. And, um, and it's just like, okay, you're opening up to another decade. And then you 
get through that, and then another one, if you're lucky enough, like I, I am, I, I feel t- tremendously lucky to be in my 80s, you know, to be able to have opened this door and and to see what what still is and to feel wonder and joy and um, the sorrow is a different kind. It's not that deep loss that I, re- I remembered all through growing up. Uh, the loss of so much, you know, the loss of family. It was so keen. It was so present. And it's just like 40 was like an opening and 50. Uh, it's, it's, your heart still feels for people around you who are experiencing things. It's still, you still know what they're going through or have an idea of what they're going through. But you don't bury yourself in it. You don't cover yourself in it. You just continue to find the joy where you can find the joy. And then and, and then the joy, and of course, I, many years ago I started this with sending blessings just to any situation, any situation, no matter what, you know, a person walking down the street with a bad limp or, you know, it was like, oh, blessings. Yeah. I, to me, this is what getting older has meant. It's been, the joys are keener and the sorrows are such, so much softer. They're not piercing. They're not, uh, it's the only way I can describe it, I think. And I think it all comes with, this is all part of the journey, and you start seeing it in a different, in a different way. Because I can look at people and know what they're going through. I'm seeing you and seeing everyone, or my kids and everything. I went through all that too. And there was probably someone older and wiser than me who was saying, Oh, if I could only tell these people that it's, you know, it, it never, you never get over it, but you understand it, and so it's a different, it's a different emotion. Well, it is for me. I can only speak right. for myself, but that's like the gift of getting older. Do you think the understanding can even be held? in extreme cases of darkness and without you know if you want examples like well it's super easy like you know we live in a time now where politics are very volatile and crazy and so we can look at the history of the United States for instance there's some historical shames oh yes that are very prevalent still today Oh, yes. Do you think they can be held with understanding, like you spoke of? So you spoke of for yourself from a personal. Can that be broadened out to such a vast 
element and, and in the understanding can peace and healing happen. What I was talking about was of course my my life experience. So I wasn't talk I wasn't at that point thinking in terms of world events as such. But considering human nature and considering where we have come from, you know, Attila the Hun and the Picts and all this, um, in one sense, our world has never been without terrorism. It was in a different time and in a different way. So it was like always there. So there was always some darkness. There was, you know, um, I had uh, a friend a Jewish man who was um, a psychiatrist and he was deep into his religion and he always was talking about the battles of the forces of the good and the evil and, and, and all of this and, and I would listen to him because he was, he, he was passionate in, in speaking about it and the rebuilding of Jerusalem and I mean the whole, the whole thing and, and I would just you know I would just listen uh, to him and think of going back as you were saying going back okay the history of our country yes we know that I mean we can we can that's close to us mm-hmm. but going back even farther I think it's all been a process of coming to light it's all there's always something there that's dark because I was thinking about the um, African-American situation in slavery here in the United States. And I was thinking of my people. And yes. my people were slaves in Africa. They were enslaved by Africans. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, well, you know, with Egypt. Oh, and, oh, I see. Yes. You oh, know, of course. Like, oh, yes. You know, so if oh, we yes. take big <laughs> chunks of history, yes. there really isn't a righteousness for any culture to stand on. No, there really isn't. Which is great in a way. Well, it, it is because it gives you, it gives you the, you know, it's like seeing the entire tapestry of life, right. you know, and to see where the gold threads come in, where the where, where it's very very dark and 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 shadowy and and then these beautiful bucolic scenes of of of, of animals, you know, in the fields and just being so peaceful and our our entire history and I know I mean we are all touched by the energetics of terror in our present age and so our fields are always felt we, we always no matter where it happens it reverberates and we do feel like 9-11 it happened in New York it was felt all over and it, it just hit our fields and, and reverberated and it's much harder to get a grasp on that moment and the years even afterward as, as the healing has tried to happen, but it, it, it can't happen completely because of the upset in our entire world, and we're now a global community. But looking to the past and seeing the pattern, 
we shouldn't be startled that there is still terrorism in our world. It's just taking a different form. And how, how do we deal with it? And it has to be, it's like that wonderful song, Let There Be Peace on Earth and Let It Begin with Me. So the peace has to happen inside here. We have to be able to drive our cars down these terrible freeways and not curse and not scream and not lay on the horn because this is all happening. It's, it's, that's where we have to begin. We have to become peaceful within ourselves. It starts with dealing with any anger issues we have. We have to deal with them here because everything, there's the individual, then there's the basic unit of society, which is the family. So we have the family here. And then out into the community, out into the state, out into the country, out into the world. And if the individual hasn't done the work here, this is what we have. This is what we're living with. This is what our politics are about. It has to start here. And you can change the word peace to that there be love and let it begin with me, that there be joy. Because I believe we are inherently loving, peaceful, and joyful. But it's all this other stuff that happens. But that's the work. That's what I see as the work. You know, it's... You don't have to buy any special creams or food or anything. That, you know, I love crystals, but I'm not going to rely on crystals to change my inside. I have to work to change my inside. I can love the, admire the crystal. I keep laughing because what keeps popping into my mind is a McDonald's Happy Meal. And if only it was so easy and cheap. There you go. But it's, um, that's the advantage that I can see from being elderly. And I love it. I love it that um, through the journey of my life, of losing my mother, and, and then what I call the year of starving, and then the first orphanage, and then the second orphanage, and the blessing of that second orphanage, um, and how my life was changed from, from that point going onward, at the time, did not seem like a blessing. <laughs> you know? You're in the middle of it, and in the middle of it, you cannot appreciate all that's really going on. But if you can look backward and see where the gifts and the blessings and the graces, that contributes, I think, going up the line to your older years where you can still look at life joyfully and even even more joy. Even knowing that we live in a very imperfect world. But 
if we understand it comes back to the individual that's powerful yeah. that's powerful that you and I can help that every individual can help and if, if a community for instance if we were so aware that we did take care of ourselves through our churches through our, our community centers and things like that we would notice how the changes take place in families and in the communities. And then outward, it does work that way. It's like these, these uh, conductors that have this enormous orchestra of these talented musicians. And this one person up there he is directing, and he is trying to bring everything in harmony. And they've all worked very hard to make their contribution to this whole. So what we, what we in the audience appreciate gives us shivers because it is so beautiful. But that's, the world could work that way too, yeah. if we all worked very hard to produce something beautiful what comes to mind is that as you said it starts with the self let it begin with me that orchestration that music needs to be alive within you 24 7 oh yeah for yes, it yes. to be that's heard. where the awareness comes in is to to live consciously um to do everything consciously and it doesn't happen overnight it's it's work it's the work the work is is to find the love in oneself and to see it in others it's like the movie Avatar I didn't see it I only saw the trailer when it came out um, it was only in 3D and I was having vertigo at the time so I could not see it but I saw the, the trailer, and the most important thing that I could have drawn from that movie was what I took from the trailer was, I see you. I see you. I see the holy essence, you know, um, the spirit of you. And if I'm relating to that spirit, the ego doesn't have a chance to, you know, get involved. And it's hard, and it is the work, but I love that. I see you, and then it's that whole, you know, the namaste. I see the God in you, or the goodness in you, or whatever it is that you, you call it. I see it, and we are the same. When I see that in you, and I see that in myself, we are the same. We are the one. It's easy to say. It's right. real easy to say. That's what I love about partnership is being in partnership, whatever partnership it is, where when I'm at a weak point, where I'm embodied yes. in my ego in the moment, and someone can see my spirit still, and they're holding that. Yes. And that helps me to move. Yes. That's powerful. Yes. And we can do that for each other if we remember to see. 
you know, to really to see. And if you make an experiment, of which I have done, I'll give you an example. I was working at Quantum in Hayward on, as a temp job, and um, I was kind of a secretary, receptionist, whatever they needed me for that day. And the administrative assistant came over and she said, well, I have a job for you, but I want to tell you, I hate sending you down there because this woman is an absolute bitch. She is just horrible to everyone. And so I had this cart, we, we had an elevator. I had this cart with all these different things that had to be copied. And this was like 11 o'clock in the morning and I was to bring this down to this woman and ask her if it could please be, if it could be finished by 4.30 in the afternoon. So immediately I started saying, please give me your blessing, perfect and holy child of the universe. And I just kept saying that was in my mind. And I get down to the place, and then there's like a Dutch door, so this part's open, and, and I see a person clear across the room. And um, so I rang the bell, and this woman turned around, and she just almost like a snarl. And I was, I was just smiling at her. And she turned around again, and she walked over, and she said, Oh, I haven't seen you here before. You must be. I said, well, I'm just a temp. And um, so I have come down with all these things to, uh, to be copied. And I said, it's a lot. I don't know how busy you are and if, if you have anything that I should relay to, uh, to the people upstairs. I said, they, they'd like to have this done by 4.30. She looked at me and she, she said, not a problem. Let me have your number so you, you so I can call you. And I did have my, my own phone at the desk. Absolutely, totally beautiful experience. And I just was addressing her spirit. And she got it. That's where I think you like the lion tamer. Of course, if someone's whipping me and holding a chair at my face, I'm going to be snarling oh, and wanting to bite the head off. Of course, but of the course. lion can lie down with the lamb. It can be. It, it can. We can be at peace. But then again, we all have to be on the same, yeah. you know, wavelength. And that's that's the difficulty. That's where I think. An enlightened being. They're just. They're just. They just are. They are enlightened twenty four seven, and the external doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. the, that's, yeah. <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't met anyone that's been that exact. Um, and and I think that anyone I know some. Or I, I don't know anymore, but I've met some wonderful people that to me were highly evolved, that they were able to dispense some wonderful healing advice, and you could see the peacefulness within themselves. 
there was a bookstore up in Mount Shasta and I have to have some water feel my throat they had taken over this this couple had taken over this bookstore and they were they were on their spiritual seriously on their spiritual path the woman was uh, he was he was quiet reserved um, always had uh, you know he, he was approachable and she was fun I mean she just was this electric person that she buzzed around and got everything done you know and but she did her meditation but this was her this was her nature and I went in there one day I was up there with my friend Jean and she was in a, a gem store and I went over to the bookstore I was the only one in there and this man I mean I swear there was light coming from him he was sitting in his chair and I think he was he was probably just meditating and then of course you could hear the bell and it was like he he came up from some depth and just just smiled and said hi welcome you know is there anything I can help you with and that was such a beautiful moment in a setting you know you can see it in a monastery right but here was in this wonderful little bookstore well you were at Mount Shasta yes I love that place I love it we used to go up on the mountain to meditate yeah you had a thought well what I realized is because yeah I had a thought that so that that experience in Marin City, in a homeless camp, and you know that that interests me um, because, as you said, like in a monastery, there's there's spiritual environments that were created with spirit in mind. Yes, yes. And so the, I think the intentionality supports the strength. And they, and they don't have the same pressures of the world. Right. I have to tell you, this is from Ram Das, uh, a story that he had told at uh, one of the uh, uh, meetings that I had, or what, what did they call them? I don't know, gatherings. And um, he, of course, had been, he had gone to India, and he had gone through... Um, you know, a few years of meditation and working with the guru. And the guru told the story. Um, after you are in the ashram and um, you're doing all this meditating, you're eating only certain types of food and, and at certain times, and, and you get this, you just get this feeling, oh, this feels so wonderful. So he told about one of his, um, what do they call them? Um, one of the people who had come for the training, I can't think of the word right now. He was progressing, progressing very well, becoming, you know, just very, very holy, just, you know, always walking like this. And the guru called him this one day and he said, Now, I have, you have come to the point. You must now go up. 
up to this particular mountain, and there is this cave there. This is where he sent people. You're going to be there by yourself. You are going to be fed by people who you will have to beg for food, or you will eat the berries, you will, you know, eat the roots, whatever. And you will be in meditation, you will be one with nature, and so he did that for six months, and he came back, and he was holier than ever. And the guru said, now, the next assignment for you is you are going to go to New York City. You are going to, there's an apartment already there for him, and it's in the midst of everything. And in three days, he's lost all of his holiness. <laughs> he's ranting and raving because, of course, when you are away from the center of life, the ajada of life, it's very easy to be very holy and very pious. But when you are thrown into the, to the midst of life and you can't stay that way, then you haven't achieved what you thought you had achieved. And this was the whole lesson of the guru, trying to bring the person down to one's nature and how the importance is like thinking of the mystics that live in our large and thriving cities. Those are the people who are making their path in a very healthy and meaningful way because they're still having to deal with all the stuff of life. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? I love that story. <laughs> For you, it's a beautiful world. not me. It's a beautiful world. It's a beautiful world. It's a beautiful world. It's a beautiful world. It's a beautiful world.